Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson, and you're with me today on I Don't Care with, yeah, me, Kevin Stevenson here on Market Scale. Just really excited to, to talk to our uh, to our guest today. Uh, very interesting topic. You know, not a lot of people know know a lot about federally qualified health centers. And so we've got an expert here that can, that can share with you and with me a little bit more about those. And so our guest today is Cesar Herrera, who is the CEO and co-founder for Uvo Health. Cesar, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, really glad to have you. And as I was saying, you guys are in the, in the Federally Qualified Health Center or FQHC space uh, and relatively new companies. So tell me a little bit about how your company came about and, and you know, why you chose to step into the FQHC space. Yeah, no, sure. So first and foremost, what Uvo Health does is we provide administrative and technology wraparound services specifically to support federally qualified health centers, particularly in enabling their transition towards value-based care. Um, now, now, before we get too far in, talk to people about what is an FQHC. Yeah, happy to. So federally qualified health centers are regulated by FERSA, which uh, Health Resources Services Administration, uh, specifically to provide primary care and wraparound services to Medicaid and uninsured individuals in what are deemed as medically underserved areas. Okay. There are 4,000 medically underserved areas across the U.S. And how you think of defining them is pretty much areas in which there are not enough primary care providers to support the population. And you can generally think of them as either in hyper-urban locations or in rural locations. Like okay. So it's, it's, a, it's a really across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep, and FQHCs have to reside in one of those locations, and they have to be willing and open to provide services to any individual, regardless of their ability to pay. Okay. Uh, uh, which is also a really critical point here, especially when we're talking about primary care services, for which the vast majority of private practice doctors have the ability to deny services to individuals that aren't able to pay, right? Yeah. How do, how do they typically do that, Cesar? How, how, can, how can a physician deny deny somebody care when we, you know, as hospitals, you know, we, we're governed by EMTALA where if somebody comes into our doors, we have to care for them regardless of, of, of their ability to pay. Yeah, so when you're talking about that, as, as particularly for not-for-profit health health systems, that's, that's part of the reason why they still, part of the requirement for that not-for-profit status. Right. In the case of private practice doctors, they're, they, they're not not-for-profit, right? So in those situations, they have the ability to choose what insurances to accept, if at all, right? Mm -hmm. And where, where we are based currently in New York City, the vast majority of private practice doctors don't accept any insurance at all. Uh, they're cash so, so I, I'm assuming, are they, are they more concierge or are they close their practices or a combination of everything? Yeah, it's a combination of everything. It's, it's, it's also a function of the, the populations that they choose to or want to serve, right? So most of them, as a result, they're just simply out of network within a given health plan and then put the onus on the patient to then do whatever they need to do, which isn't necessarily good for the patient either. True. Okay, very good. So you guys have a pretty big announcement tomorrow. Let's talk about that. Well, I say tomorrow. I, I should yeah. clarify. On Wednesday, May the 18th. So, so <laughs> tell my listeners a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so we're excited to, to finally announce to the world that, that we've we brought on our first set of FQHC partners uh, within our model that, that we've launched in downstate New York. So what you've always is an IPA and an MSO model. So we enables us to establish value-based contracts on behalf of our FQHC partners with managed care entities. And in many cases, these are contracts that our FQHC partners would not be able to establish on their own, given legal or regulatory barriers that stand in the way of FQHC. So we're very excited to announce that we have these four FQHCs already in place. They represent um, a very diverse set of patient population that represents all five boroughs of New York City, as well as Long Island. And they represent roughly 40,000 Medicaid lives that flow through their centers every single year. Okay. That's tremendous So. So let's step back a little bit. Tell me, you know, why did why did you and your co-founders decide to found Uvo Health? What what was your driving force behind that? Yeah, so it was a mixture of personal and professional. So on the personal standpoint, I myself was an FQHC patient growing up. Uh, I grew up a, a majority of my own childhood without health insurance. So as a result of that, FQHCs were my primary care provider where I grew up. And I I know firsthand the benefits that I had allotted to myself because I had access to primary care. And I also know on the flip side, the, the detriment it has on so many millions of individuals and communities that are vastly underserved when they don't have access to primary care. In current state, according to HRSA, there are 20 million individuals across the US that need access to primary care, but do not have access to an FQHC. So that's the underpinnings for why we decided to establish UVO and support the critical infrastructure that is these 1400 FQHCs. But then it's also my own background in, in nearly 20 years of experience in, in healthcare, in value-based care strategy and in integrated delivery, uh, development of integrated care delivery models that made me very confident that one really critical way that we can support FQHCs is by enabling access to sustainable revenue via value-based care. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some of the value-based care models that, that you're supporting, you know, in, in my, my background, I you know, not only hospital administration, but I also ran uh, ACOs and, and physician mm-hmm. networks as well. Yep. So I know the the heavy quality component of that. And so, yeah, talk to me a little bit about how you support these FQHCs, because I know in my own experience, sometimes it was really difficult to get those patients engaged with, with my physicians. So do you have any do you have any tips for, for those folks <laughs> who are, are who are really trying to 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 improve the quality of their of their patients' uh, lives, but who have some resistance from that? Yeah, no, that's totally fair in regards to, I mean, there's there's several components, right, that we talk about this as it relates particularly to our FQHC partners. There's certainly the, the, the patient engagement side, but before that, there's just foundational elements around access to data. Uh, in, in this case for us, we think of everything holistically. It's one thing to then be able to manage the care of your patients when they're in your four walls. But when you then start transitioning to value-based care, now you're at risk for all services that are rendered regardless of right. where they are rendered. 
And it becomes very difficult for you to manage that care if you don't have visibility into all the times in which they go outside your facility. So that's one of the first foundational pieces and elements that we have here is understanding, like collecting all this data, aggregating into a single data warehouse, and then making sure that any of our providers then has full visibility of this is the, the total universe of costs and encounters associated with your patients, right? And it enables our provider partners to then have, be able to make much more uh, well-rounded decisions around how they're able to uh, dictate care or navigate care for their patient population. That also makes it easier for them to gain the trust of their, of their patients accordingly when they now have a singular point of view and they're not constantly asking their patient questions that maybe they, they those patients have been asked like eight other times already yeah. over the course so of their true. Yeah. experience, right? I think another really important piece to it is when we think about the benefits of an FQHC is FQHCs are embedded in the communities that they serve. And as a result of that, have already gained the trust of their communities. And if you're, and when we're talking about that, and part of that low-income communities it is incredibly difficult to gain the trust of, uh, of generally low-income and historically disenfranchised communities because they're so used to being taken advantage of, right? So that is the great thing associated with FQHCs is they built that trust over decades. They're supporting not just the clinical needs of their patient population. They're supporting, in most cases, other social service needs for their population. Uh, so that enables them to have uh, a greater ability to navigate care for their patient population. And that's the, that's what makes this, the access to value-based care so powerful for FQHCs because they were built for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're already providing these services. They already have to gain the trust of the community. They just never got credit for that work in the eyes of a health plan. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're here to do. Well, you're so right, and, and you make you make a great point. The fact that you know not only is the FQHC you know health health focus, they're really a community center in, in many instances. You, you know, it. providing uh, you know the social aspects, but the educational aspects too, right? And, and so, you know, tell me a little bit about how you both support providing education, uh, you know, health health education and beyond to to those patients who are served by FQHCs. Yeah, so everything that, think about everything that we do is more um, uh, kind of the behind the scenes administrative engines okay. that can support our FQHC partners so that they can focus less on um, the, the administrative day to day and more on gotcha. providing the care that they know that they can deliver. And how we see ourselves is the intermediary between the health plan and the FQHC. Okay. Because FQHCs don't speak health plan language, and right. we Who don't them to, right? So we're here to just give them credit for the work that they already do every day. Okay. Well, and I, and I know that was one of the real challenges that I had in my in my past life was you know helping not only helping our my physicians in our in the clinics you know navigate that whole process, but really as you said you know follow. Follow the data, follow, you know, follow their patients throughout their course of treatment, regardless of where that is. So are you saying that you also have a, a network of specialists and hospitals and other providers behind you? Is that what you're doing as well? 
that's part that, that will be part of the process. So okay. that's not, as you can imagine, that's not day one. The day one yeah, is right. But the expectation is is that we're building this supportive infrastructure for our FQAs, which, as you can imagine, especially when you're talking about, let's be honest, the dearth of specialty providers that accept Medicaid is in developing that reliable uh, referral network of specialists that are not housed in an FQHC. Because one of the biggest uh, factors you're going to hear or pain points you're going to hear from FQHCs is they have no one to refer them to once the services can't be rendered at the FQHC. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that that's incredibly difficult because there is such a yeah. You look at you look at a city the size of New York City, you would think there'd be ample providers when there's really actually not. So, so yeah, this this is a great start for you, Health, and congratulations. You know, you, I, what you've been around a little over a year, right? Correct. It's incredible yeah. for what you've been able to do so quickly. Thank so, you. you know, I'm that guy. What's next for you guys? You're just going to keep adding more FQHCs? You're going to branch out in New York State? What do you plan to do? Both. As you can imagine, in our model, and, and you've built out ACOs in the past and managed ACOs in the past, you know that it's about scale. So that's where the way that we can benefit our FQHC partners the most is once we've established a minimal level of scale efficiency in our operations. We can't do that unless we then increase the number of attributed lives that are associated to this model. So that includes not just increasing uh, the the number of FQHCs that are supported in, in New York, but also in other markets. And we have identified already five markets outside of New York uh, where we, we have uh, initial plans of expanding into, okay. mainly the Midwest and Mid-Atlantic, with the ultimate plans of being able to support any FQHD in any state uh-huh. that enables us to. Yeah, I think it would you know, it would be really interesting to see. You know, you obviously have a great niche right now in New York City. You know, in that in that large population, but but I'd be really interested to see you know what you could bring to say a, rural, a truly yeah. rural market. You yeah, know, because you know that those are the FQHCs I'm a lot more familiar with. You know, oh, got I've been it. in a number of. You know, I'm based here in Texas but have also worked in Arkansas and Kentucky and some other places where, you know, tremendously underserved populations and in predominantly rural. And so obviously those needs are, are, are ramped up even more so because, you know, your take your referral, your referral provider needs and and multiply that times about a hundred because they're just not there anyway in those States. And, And so, so what, what message would you like to give to my viewers and listeners about, you know, kind of next generation uh, for, you know, what you're doing for FQHCs? How, you know, this is your platform to share. Hey, you know, UVO is here to help. How how else can you help some of my other listeners? Sure. So when we talk about FQHCs, as you can imagine, like the, I, I think of every opportunity I have to speak is to, a way to, to highlight the, the criticality and importance mm-hmm. in the work that FQHCs serve, right? So, and speak to the, the lack of infrastructure that, and support that FQHCs have to do their work. So FQHCs, they represent and serve 30 million people across the mm-hmm. U.S., right? And we're talking about an additional 20 million that are not served 
simply because the revenue model for FQHCs is not sustainable currently, yeah. right? So we, uh, if we don't address that problem of ensuring that there's a sustainable revenue model for FQHCs, then we have a very significant reckoning uh, that, that we're going to be facing because you'll see FQHCs unfortunately shuttering, not because they, well, they want to, right? And as a result, then you'll see you see otherwise low uh, you'll see low income individuals that are then having to flood into super high cost centers of care like an ED or a hospital for primary care, which we also don't want. It's not good for the patient, and it's not good for the healthcare like financial e- ecosystem. Right. Um, so it, these are all just going to show just how important it is for us to continue involving not just primary care physicians into the into this dialogue of sustainable like healthcare financing, but most critically primary care providers that serve predominantly Medicaid and uninsured. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm a crazy question here. Obviously you're working with existing FQHCs now. And, and again, I'm here in Texas. We're having, you know, just the continued rash of, of hospital closures primarily in rural, you know, rural parts of the state. Do you foresee or can you currently work with, say, a local community that just lost its hospital uh, and, and help them set up an FQHC? I, yeah. So part of this model is in recognizing as well that the existing structure, the existing infrastructure of 1,400 FQHCs is not enough. Right. Right. There are 1,400 FQHCs. There are 4,000 medically underserved areas. So there's a there's a lot of footprint that we have to. So it's like you've got 2,600 digital uh, locations there, our area. And for us, we can't we can't build our we're not we're not a not for profit organization, so we can't build out our own FQHC. Yeah. Our mission is then, but our mission is to then leverage this infrastructure that we're building at scale to work collaboratively with community to then stand up and spin off new FQHCs um, wherever it makes sense. Well, good. I know know that's, I know that's a real issue for a lot of small towns. They just don't know how to go about it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really rigorous process in order to then qualify as an FQHC in any market. And it is our responsibility and our duty to alleviate the burden. We want to make it as easy as possible for communities to build out their primary care ecosystem. Very good. Well, Cesar, any other, any final words before we close out today? No, I've, I've really appreciated this conversation, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on because I mean, you're, you're doing a, you're doing a work that really needs to be done to, to help, you know, serve those who are, who are you know, disenfranchised and underserved. And so, you know, thank you so much for doing that. So, folks, that was uh, Cesar, uh, Cesar Herrera, who is the CEO and co-founder of Uvo Health, based in New York City. Obviously, you can go to, I would be remiss, what's your website? Yeah, it's www.uvohealth.com. Perfect. Okay, so viewers and listeners, if any of you have any, uh, any needs for their company's assistance or just have some more questions that, that I didn't ask that you were interested in, please reach out to them. So with that, this is uh, another episode of I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. 
Really appreciate you joining me today. And we'll be talking again next week. Take care.